What up, Crossing family? It is so good to see you guys. I want to take just uh, a little bit of time here on the front end and just be praying for our churches all across this region as we've been kind of going through some interesting weather. Um, our Kitcut campus didn't have power on Thursday, and so A.J. Furman, uh, you know, moved them into the lobby, was unloading generators so that way he could run fans because they also didn't have air conditioning. He was going to preach the sermon. He stepped off his pickup truck, ripped a six-inch hole in his pants, preached my sermon in cowboy boots and shorts like a true redneck. God bless him. They're with us today. And then our Jacksonville campus uh, doesn't have power or internet, so they're uh, traveling to Pike County, and they're watching online, and then I think some of them are uh, joining us from the lobby. It's just a bit of a mess. I know that we're not the only church impacted, and I also know that uh, there's different people in our region who are got a lot more than limbs that they got to figure out. And so I just want to spend a little bit of time praying on the front end. Would you guys join me? God, I'm just asking that today um, you'd be with all the churches in our region who are trying to point people to you. God, that you would make a way for people who are far from you to be found in you. God, I'm also just asking that you'd be with all the people who have a lot of work um, that they still have to get done to try and get their business or to get their home up and fully functioning. God, I pray that this would be an opportunity for Christians to be um, the very best behavior and use this dark moment as an opportunity to be a light. God, I also just ask you to be with all the people who are joining us um, at all of our different locations and watching online. God, that you would stir our hearts today. In your name I pray, amen. Today, I'm going to be talking to you from one of the top three chapters in all the scripture, in my opinion. Like, if you were doing a Mount Rushmore of best chapters, Romans 5 is on it. I mean, you've got Romans 8, which I'm going to be talking about, or which I'll be doing in a couple of weeks, and you've got 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which is a humdinger. I mean, it's great. I don't know what humdinger means. I hope that that's okay. And... Uh, it really is. It's a top three. Romans 5 is a fantastic chunk of Scripture. In fact, if I'm not careful, if I just read it, and you guys are going to experience that this week as you guys are doing your devotion, um, it can be emotional when you read it. It just has that kind of power. And my hope is that today uh, you will have a defining moment take place in your life, that it would draw you further along in your intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ that the trajectory of your life would be altered, that your commitment to Christ would, and his mission would be deepened and your love for God would increase. And before we jump all the way into that, I'm gonna do a specific shout out to those of you here at 48th Street, to those of you joining us in Macomb and Kirksville, those of you hanging out with Chris Lefevre at 929, and those of you in Pike County and Hannibal and Lima and Mount Sterling and Keokuk and Monmouth and Jacksonville, but I, um, I want to say a special word to those of you who are joining us from the crossing inside. Something was happening as I was writing this message, and you guys were just on my heart. And so, you know, the rest of you guys can kind of just listen in. But um, I just want to talk to, you, to those of you who are part of the crossing family in our crossing inside ministry. I want to remind you that it is not over. Some of you who are listening to this message who are in jail right now, one day you are going to get out. And I want you to use your time on the inside to devote yourself to the teachings of Jesus so that you are prepared to make a difference when you get the opportunity to live on the outside. 
I want you to use this season to fast forward your spiritual growth so that way you will be prepared to point people to Jesus, not just on the inside, but you'll be ready to transition to being a difference maker for him on the outside. And to those of you who are part of the crossing inside and you are never getting out, I want you to hear me. There are cellmates and those on your block who are dealing with extreme emotional, psychological, spiritual pain and confusion. And I want you to be digging deep in God's word so that you can be an example to follow and you can be equipped to be their pastor. Your reputation should be the best among your fellow inmates and the guards. I want you to give God a good name and reputation inside the prison and jail walls. And I want you to know that while you do that, as a cross saying, all across this region, we remain in your corner and we are rooting for you. And to those of you who are watching online from wherever you are watching from and for whatever reason you are watching, whether you're sick or you're traveling with sports or whatever it is, um, maybe you're just outside of our region and you haven't found a church home yet, we are so glad that you are making time for Jesus today. At the very beginning of this sermon series, we kind of talked about the book of Romans and we broke it down into three big chunks. That uh, chapters one through eight are pillars of truth where we learn how God can be trusted and that we can build our life around it. And then in chapters nine through 11, what it looks like to trust God when others don't. Some of you feel like that's the reality you're living in. You're trying to follow God, but the people around you aren't. How do we do that? Chapters nine through 11 are gonna talk about it. And then chapters 12 through 16, we're gonna talk about being noticeable neighbors. Neighbors that uh, make a difference, that show up in ways in other people's lives to point people to Jesus. And in chapter one, we learn that God can be trusted because his gospel is true. The gospel tells us that we are all sinners, but that Jesus is a good savior. You and I are jacked up. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're jacked up. You are telling the truth, okay? Nobody, okay, nobody gets it right, nobody has it right. We are jacked up, messed up, sinful people. But Jesus is a mighty savior. And our salvation is not based on us, our salvation is based on him. That is the good news. But the good news comes after the bad news. We're jacked up, but God can unjack you up, whatever that looks like. <laughs> Chapter two, we learned that God can be trusted because his patience and his kindness lead us to repentance. Because God has been patient and kind with us, you and I must be patient and kind with others with the hopes that they too will come to repentance. In other words, our strategy to helping people come into a relationship with Jesus Christ should match God's strategy for helping us come into an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You gotta ask yourself, why would you have a different strategy than God's strategy to get people to God? So as Christians, this is tough news. It's not bad news, it's tough news. You and I have to work at being patient and kind. Quick gut check. The people were to describe you right now, would they go, this is one of the most patient and kind people I know. Then you get an F for failure, okay? We need to have God's strategy if we wanna get people to God. Chapter three, 
God can be trusted because he is faithful when we're not. He provided a way that we could not. You and I cannot fix this. You and I cannot make things right. Therefore, we can't boast in ourselves about how awesome we are. We can only boast about how awesome God is because God's the one who made a way. In chapter four, we learn that God can be trusted because he justifies us through faith, then he forgives and covers our sins and never counts our sins against us. How good is your God? Now you're ready for Romans chapter five. Therefore, verses one, since we have, or one and two, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. Now, when, uh, if you've come to the crossing for a long time, you probably know this. Uh, if you haven't, we're just gonna fill you in. Anytime you read the word justified in scripture, the easiest way to understand that word is this, excuse my penmanship, is just as if I had never sinned. If you look at all the red, word, red words, I just spelled justified, okay? Just as if I had never sinned. Because of Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the grave, you and I have been justified. Our slate has been wiped clean as if it never happened. Uh, some of you, you have kids when they uh, come in from a long weekend, like for to celebrate Memorial Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day, and they trash your whole house, right? And then someone goes about your house cleaning it all up as if it never happened. High schoolers, when your parents said that they could trust you and, you went out of ta- and they went out of town for a weekend because you're not the kind of person who would throw a party, but you threw a party, and then you cleaned up as if it never happened. That is what God went about and did on your behalf when it came to your sin. He made it as if it had never happened. Now, how many of you guys uh, are English people? Like, you know, you were good at English in school. Not like speaking English, you know, like English classes. Yeah, because we need to pay attention to the tenses in here. I didn't figure we attracted the crowd of people in our town. It's like, oh yeah, we love English majors. And if you're an English major, I'm glad you're here. Don't email me. I, I don't read good, okay? Write <laughs> slow. I don't read fast, okay? So uh, if you're not an English major, you got to pay attention to the tenses in this scripture because the tenses are intense. That was a little joke for the nerds. Okay. Because when you read through this, what you're going to find out is that there are past tense actions that have present tense power. It's already happened, it's already taken place, but it has power in my present reality. Look at what happens here. Therefore, since we have been justified, that means I am justified. Because of something that has taken place, I 
am forgiven. And I take hold of this justification by having faith in what Jesus Christ did on my behalf. You step into this reality of being justified when you start an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You begin this relationship when you believe that God made you, loved you, and sent his son Jesus to make things right on your behalf. And then you turn away from your sinful behavior of you being in charge, and you start and living for yourself, and you start or you decide to start living for Jesus. You make him the Lord of your life. He's the one who's in control. This leads you to wanting to be obedient in the area of baptism and all of the ways that Jesus calls us to live. And when you get baptized, when you're obedient in the area of baptism, when you are being baptized, you experience the washing away of your sins. You model the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You also live out the example that Jesus did when Jesus himself was baptized. And you are doing what he commanded his followers to do, which was to be baptized. How can you call yourself a follower of Jesus if you're not gonna follow the commands and the teachings of Jesus? That this is just part of what it means to be a Christian. And when this happens, we become justified and that makes us at, and we, this happens through faith and we end up with at peace with God. There is no longer any war. Once we were enemies with God, now he has made peace between us and God through Jesus. And, but hear me, just because we are at peace does not mean we will not face discipline. Some of you might be going, well, if I'm at peace with God, why is there this thing that I'm having to navigate? It's because God's disciplining you. Well, why is God disciplining you? Well, I'm glad you asked. Ready? Look what it says in Proverbs chapter three, verses 11 through 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's, everybody say this word? Discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord, say this next word, disciplines those he, oh, God disciplines you because he loves you. That's why, parents, parents, you know this. When you love your kid, you care about how they're gonna turn out, and when they're doing things that are gonna make them turn out the way they shouldn't turn out, you discipline them. How many of you, how many of you are perfect? Yeah, I saw a couple husbands trying to raise their wife's hand. She keeps telling me she is. Yeah, but, that, but, it, but she's not, right? That's just not how it works. So if we're not perfect, that means we're gonna do things we shouldn't do. And when we do things we shouldn't do, God is going to discipline us. He's gonna correct us. He's gonna try and make us and mold us more into his image. We are at peace with God, but we are not excused from God's discipline because God loves us and wants what's best for us. Now, as God refines us and molds us into his image, he does something even better than this. He keeps, let's keep going in the text. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access, here it is, by faith again, into, his, into this grace in which we now stand. 
and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. This grace, this space that Paul is referring to is this new justified reality. It is a state of peace between us and God. This grace is a room that we enter through Jesus Christ. He is our refuge, our firm foundation. Jesus is the door into this space of grace. Here, God invites us into the intimate settings of his kingdom. Oh, how do I explain this? How many of you have friends that you don't let in the house, you meet them in the driveway? Like you see them, you see them coming down the gravel road. For those of you who are country bumpkins, you, you see, okay, well, I think that's Billy's truck. Come on, honey, Billy's here, and you meet him outside. Oh, good to see you, Billy. Glad you're here. Oh, wish, wish you could stay longer, but uh, we gotta do some stuff. And they never, they don't even know what the inside of your house looks like. They're, they're mailbox friends. Like that, we'll just talk at the mailbox. Then you have some people that you let come into the house, into the, like the living room. Like, oh yeah, you can come in, glad you're here. You, you get them something nice, to, you know, to drink or eat, you know, you're, just, you're super glad they're there. But there's a small subset of people, hang with me, that you would let use your master bathroom. Like you'd let them walk into your house, into your bedroom, where all the clothes are not put away, by the way, and use your restroom. I don't have any friends that are that close. They've never been like, Clayton, use the master, right? They've always been like, nope, you can go when you go home. That's when you can go. Here is, what, here is what God is doing. He's inviting you into this space of grace. How close do you have to be to use the master bad, uh, bathroom? Family. There, I'll be, okay, this isn't in the sermon. There are four bathrooms in my house. There are four people that live in my house. All four of us use my bathroom. I, I wake up in the morning because I'm a man. I go, kid's pooping on it on his iPad. <laughs> She's in my space of grace. As soon as he gets done, the seat doesn't even get a chance to cool down. Next kid comes in. And then, of course, I'll be using the restroom and my wife will come in to start doing her makeup and hair. And she's like, I cannot believe you're in here. I'm like, we married each other. This is ours. He has one, he has one. This is for other people, I don't know who that, but I wanna use my, God invites you into this space of grace, okay? You will not forget Romans five. Now, because we have experienced this peace, this results in the big things of life being taken care of. All that's left are the little things. Because we are at peace with God, all that's left are little things. Now, I'm not saying that little things aren't real things. I'm not saying that little things aren't hard things. And I'm not saying that little things aren't hurtful things. But in the grand scheme of things, God has justified you, purified you, saved you from your sin, made a place for you in heaven to spend eternity. He solved your eternity. But yes, there's still some stuff that you and I are gonna have to navigate here in the physical realities of life. But we have, we tend to have such an upside down view of the things of God. Here's what God's saying. I've paid off your house, 
but you still have to vacuum. Like there's still some stuff you're gonna have to navigate in the realities of life. And we are so upside down when it comes to this kind of stuff. We make the spiritual reality small and we make the physical realities big. That's why it's so hard for us to live out God's plan and God's purpose for our lives. We spend and save like this world is all that matters instead of God's eternal kingdom. We navigate stress and hardship with our eyes focused on physical realities and not the spiritual ones. But because I am at peace with God and, my, and heaven is my future home, I can be more generous, I can be more forgiving, I can be more dependent on him and less dependent on myself. Then Paul goes on and he takes us down a pretty interesting road. Romans chapter three, uh, five, three through five. Not only so, but we also glory in our, everybody say that word, sufferings. That didn't make any sense. He unpacks it because we know that suffering produces perseverance, this patient endurance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces, everybody say this, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hear me, just because we have this firm foundation, this state of grace, this justified reality does not mean that we won't have hardships. Christians might suffer more. Not only do we have to navigate the general hardships of life, but Christians suffer because of Satan and persecution Christians have to navigate doubts about God and how can life be so hard if God is so good? They end up rethinking things, wrestling through spiritual and physical realities. It's not the atheist, but the Christian who has to ask, why God, why did this happen? What about all the things you promised? Why is life so hard? What about all of my unanswered prayers? Christians will suffer. I want to absolve you of the idea that once you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, life becomes easy. And that the evidence in your life that God is in your life is that your life is pain-free. I want you to be absolved of that reality. To be a Christian might mean not only do you suffer, it might mean you suffer more. And he says we supposed, we're supposed to rejoice I mean, rejoicing in hope is one thing, but rejoicing in our suffering? That don't make no sense. But he says, look at what suffering does. Suffering produces. It produces inside of you and me this perseverance, this patience, the ability for you and I to bear up underneath whatever comes along, believing that God will come through or get them through. We're gonna get more into this into Romans chapter eight but I'm willing to wager that all across this region at all of our different campuses and probably every single row, there are some of you who can go, you've been through hard things. How many of you have suffered? And how many of you can say, God got you through? It produces something in us. It writes our testimony. It increases our story. Why should I rejoice in suffering? Well, I'll tell you a couple reasons. One, Jesus suffered. The one who never sinned, who never did anything wrong, still suffered. So that means that, well, I might suffer too. Check this out. 
God's or Jesus's suffering created a path to find an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ for you and for me. Maybe our suffering could do the same. What I'm saying is maybe some of you should consider staying in your difficult marriage. Some of you, when you navigate your difficult diagnosis, you should be prepared to suffer to point people that God is still good even when the medical answers aren't. Those of you navigating financial hardship, dealing with being misunderstood, some of us should suffer while we love our enemies. Why? Because when Jesus suffered, it made a way for other people to find Jesus, and how we suffer gives other people an opportunity to come to him as well. Not the sermon you were looking for, hang on. This suffering produces something else in us, a proven character. Suffering and trials reveal character much like storms reveal the quality of the workmanship on a home. I wrote this before the storms. So if your house got blown over or there's a tree limb in your living room, sorry about your builder, okay? What happens is, is when we go through the trials and the hardships of life, it reveals our faith and our dependence on God. You guys know this. There's a difference between, have you, how many of you have heard marriage advice from people who've never been married? Isn't it cute? Like, oh, that's, I've, never, I've never heard somebody so dumb, right? And then you, get marriage, you hear marriage advice from engaged people. We will never be like that. Uh-uh. Like we've looked at my mom and dad and we've looked at his mom and dad and we're never gonna be that. Until he folds the towel one time wrong and you are your mom, okay? That's exactly how long it takes, right? And then there's people who've been married a really long time. And you know the quality of that kind of advice. Like there's just different. They have a different level of security. They've been married long enough. You know, when you, when you first got married and you had that fight and you're like, oh my goodness, I think we're gonna get a divorce. And then now you've been married so long and you fight, like she's gonna talk to me in a month or two. Like, she's too old to date. She ain't going anywhere. Like, we're just, I'm not, whoa, I'm not talking about me. I've just, I, I wouldn't do that, okay? <laughs> I've been trained, okay? You know, you don't know how much I have to vacuum at, at home just to be able to have these sermon moments with you, okay? My suffering produces a way for you to come to faith. Okay, like I was folding laundry the other year, and um, anyhow, I'll get, okay. There's a difference. People who've been through some stuff in their marriage have some stuff to say. Their character's been revealed and refined over time. And that's what happens in your faith, that just because you're going through the hardships of life doesn't mean your life isn't getting better or more refined, more into the image of God. Take the fights of the people who are just dating, take the fights of those who are engaged, take the fights of those who are still on their honeymoon, and then look at what's happening inside of a marriage that's been through some stuff. Which advice do you want? Who do you want counseling you? I want the people who've been through it. Know what it's like to sleep on the couch, the floor, and outside. Like the people who've been through all the phases of marriage. I want those people to speak into it. And this suffering purifies us because it takes the things that we've been depending upon away. This proven character produces hope because after you've been through some things and you come out the other side, you have more hope about getting through the things that lie ahead. Furthermore, our hope in the glory of heaven becomes even more real to us as our victories increase, so does our hope in a God who's never once lost a battle. 
We have a confidence as we go through life. And he says, therefore, we will not be put to shame. Hear me, crossing family. We will not be put to shame. We will not be disappointed. Even though you might be mocked for your faith, ridiculed for your faith, your hope is solidly based. Think of Noah. Noah was told by God to build an ark. And Noah started building the ark and everybody around him, what's an ark? It's a boat. What's a boat? It's something that floats on big bodies of water. Why do you need that? Because it's gonna rain. What's rain? Water's gonna come down from heaven. It's gonna fill everything around us. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, Noah was living out his hope in God that one day the rains were gonna come and people were gonna need a boat. And it looked like he was the biggest fool up until it started to rain. His hope was not put to shame, and neither will yours. Now I'm ready to preach my sermon. The next three verses, in my opinion, are the best three verses to answer the question, how do I know that God loves me? If you wanna know how to bookmark these three verses, if you're looking for your tattoo verse, Romans 5, 8 is a, is a top three tattoo verse. How do I know that God loves me? You might be going, but Clayton, I already got the John 3.16 tattoo. That's why God gave you two arms, okay? <laughs> two arms, two legs, two eyelids, I don't care. Because John 3.16 tells us that God loves us and how he loves us. But these verses show us what was going on behind the scenes because it tells us about when God was loving us. Romans 5, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the, everybody say that, ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, when we were powerless, when we were weak, when we were without strength, when we were helpless, who did Christ die for? He died for the ungodly. Look at how different God is from you and me. There's some of you are going, well, I would, I would jump in front of a bus and save my wife. Good for you. There's some of you moms who are going, well, I would jump in front of a bus for my little grandbaby. Well, good for you. Very rarely will someone die for a good person or a righteous person, but none of us, not one of us would die for the ungodly. Not one of us would take the place of those who harmed us, divorced us, abused us, those on death row. But there was someone who was willing to die for the weak and the wicked. You see, how good is our God? Our God is so good, he made the first move. When we were at our worst, our God was at his best. 
That's how good he is. That's why we gather. That's why we worship. That's why we praise. That's why we give. That's why we invite. That's why we serve because he's just that good. And you might be going, but Clayton, I'm pretty good. I'm cool. Because you love when. Everybody say when. We love when. We love when. We love when others love us back. We love when they do what we want them to do. We love when they care about our needs. We love when they care about our wants. We love when. We love after. Everybody say after. We love after they prove themselves worthy. We love after a grand gesture. We love after they've made things right. We love after they've prioritized us. You might be going, but Clayton, I love while. I would agree with you. You love while. I love while. I love while things are going okay. I love while things are going my way. I love while they are on good behavior, while they're in good standing, while they're loving us back. But do you see how good our God is? That while we were still sinners, that's when he made the move. If you want to know how good God is, is he loved you while you were still rebelling, still enemies, still running away, still pushing away, still being stingy, still being greedy, still being hateful and hurtful, still lying and cheating and gossiping. He loved you while you were still lusting, still abusing, still being two-faced, to still being hypocritical. That's how our God loves you. How do I know he loves you? That God demonstrated his love for us in this that while we were still sinning, he sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. He took my punishment, made it as though I had never sinned, brought me into a justified reality in a state of grace. That's how good our God is. God can be trusted because he was at his very best when you and I were at our very worst. God can be trusted because you and I will not face the wrath of God that we deserve for our sins because Jesus has already done that in my place. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I don't know how you ever get over that. We're moving to a time of decision. We serve a God who made the first move. Therefore, as Christians, we need to be people who make the first move. But I want to clear some stuff up, specifically to those of you who've never started an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, in Jennifer and I's relationship, I made all the first moves. I asked her out, I held her hand, I gave her a kiss. She did not get down on one knee and ask me to marry her. She's not that stupid. The reason, <laughs> the, the reason we got married 
is I wore her down, to be honest with you. That's what I, and manipulation. Okay, I, I, I okay, there's no, I made all of the moves. Her moves have always been a response to my moves. And today, if you're wanting to start an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to know you are not making the first move. God has been making all of the first moves and you are simply responding to the greatest first moves of all time. Don't believe me? Here's what I'm saying. God wanted you. And so he made the first move and he created you. The Bible says that he knit you together in your mother's womb, which means that he had a plan and a purpose for your life. Before you were you, he was thinking about you. And it was his thinking about you that caused him to create you. God made the first move in making you. Before you drew your first breath, before you could speak, before you could say your first cuss word, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for the cuss word you hadn't even said yet. That's how good he is. And before you could even show up for church and sing your first worship song, before you could raise your hand and pray your first prayer, before you ever had any intention to draw your heart back to him, he had already made all the moves. And somehow you, you show up for church and, and you think to yourself, well, I got to get this figured out and I, and I got to get this right and I got to stop doing this and I got to dial this back and I got to start doing this more and then I can start my relationship with Jesus. But don't you get it? While you were still sinners, that's all he needed to know is that you needed him. And he had already made a way He's not waiting for you to get things right. He already sent his son Jesus because you couldn't get him right. He doesn't need you to get your act together because he knows you can't get your act together without the Holy Spirit, who he will send to you upon your baptism, where he will put in you the power you need to accomplish the things he calls you to. He's not waiting for you to get it wrong because he's already paid for it. He's not waiting for you to get it right because he doesn't expect it. He's just waiting for you. And that's the only response you could possibly give him, is you. Here I am, all jacked up and messed up and whatever word you want to put in. And God goes, yeah, I've been waiting for this moment since before I made you. And if you're here today, and you've never started an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't put it off. In just a few moments, there's gonna be people around you stand and sing, and some are gonna come to the steps and pray. And there's gonna be somebody over by the baptistry who'd love a chance to talk with you about what that looks like. Don't put it off. But there's some of you who you're going, not yet. Not today, not now. And I just want you to know, he's still gonna be waiting on you. And so will this church. He's still gonna be rooting for you. 
and sold his church. The only difference is gonna be how much more pain and hurt and sorrow and frustration are you gonna experience between now and then? Because there's no thing that you can fix or do to get you into a better spot because the spot you need to be in to find Jesus is the spot where you recognize you're a sinner. Don't put it off. To those of you who already have a relationship with Jesus Christ, remember that I like you and you kinda like me because what I'm gonna say to you now, you're like, I did not see this coming. This is the part of the sermon you're gonna go, I didn't like that part, I liked the first part. But if we serve a God who made the first move, then that means that we need to be Christians who make the first move. Have a troubled marriage? I want you to love them while they're still being a bad spouse, just like God did. Have a kid who's acting out of pocket? I want you to love them while they're out of pocket because that's how God moved for you. Have a boss, a coworker, an employee who's giving you fits. I want you to love them while they give you fits because that's how God moved for you. Have somebody who harmed you, hurt you, betrayed you. I want you to love them while because that's how God moved for you. If we are gonna be people who've been impacted by the first move of God, then we have to be people who make the first move on behalf of God in other people's lives. You're like, I like the first part of the sermon when it was like, man, God's awesome and I can still be jacked up. But if we really love God, we should wanna model what he did in our life for others. You're going, but Clayton, I don't have that kind of strength. You don't need to have that kind of strength. He's your strength. Clayton, I don't, I don't have that kind of energy. He'll be your energy. I don't have that kind of hope. He'll be the hope. What I'm gonna ask you to do if you're a Christian is to come down here and get down on your knees and ask God to help you write a better story. A story that recognizes that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. A story that's asking God to give you the strength to love the people around you while they're still sinning. To love until God releases you. To love until God redeems the situation. Would you stand with me? God, my prayer in this moment, I feel like I pray it all the time, but it's just because it's the prayer I want answered. God, I want you to do something that only you can do in this room. I want you to do something that only you can do, that only you can take the credit for. God, I'm asking you to make it incredibly clear for every person in here exactly what it is that they are supposed to do. And God, that you would give them the courage and the strength to walk it out. Do something in this church, Father. Do something in me that only you get the credit for. In your name I pray, amen.